playing Twitter. I am Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. For some reason, it is only Wednesday, and you are watching AM to DM. All right, new Avengers posters are out. Let's bring them up real quick. We've got them here. And so there okay. you go. Kind of on the color side. All right, those uh -huh. are all the Avengers. Those are the folks that still exist. Still with us, still kicking. And then you've got the black and white side, mm. which they are calling the Fallen. Oh, okay, I, Dusted. I prefer to call them the Dusted. The Dustbin. Because they've been Dusted. I you get it. it. Thank I you. Got thank it. you. I got okay. It. Very nice. Let's analyze this, though. Okay, so I was excited to see mm -hmm. that two hour, right? We have Tessa Thompson. I didn't, you know, Valkyrie, I don't think appeared in Infinity that Wars. That is very cool. So it's good to know that, because, you know, Valkyrie is ready. Right. For a she's, fight. she's in the mix. I That's good. I would love to, to see Valkyrie. I was happy punch to see him. that Wong is still there. Oh, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he was like, <laughs> peace, I'm out. I was, like, I was very happy to so see that he, uh, he dodged everything. So that's cool. We're glad they're still with us and they're in for the fight. Of course, we lost a lot of people with the snap. <laughs> I sure did. The snap, snap heard around the world. Uh, Shuri was killed off camera. So that's, that's part, new, right? That's part of the problem. So the timeline was very upset about this yesterday. Shuri's poster came out, black and white. Shuri was in the mix, if you remember, at the end of the last movie. All right, she oh, was, she doing, was doing stuff in the last. And it's a beautiful poster. Don't get me that wrong. Is good. That I is good. love. She it. looks like she's looking at Marvel, like y'all know this is some bullshit. But it was crazy, yeah. right? I think a lot of people were very surprised to all of a sudden mm -hmm. find out that they had lost such a beloved character who was in the mix, but they right. didn't show it to us. I will say, there's a part of me that's like, I could see an exec being like. She's such a beloved character. Let's not show it. They're already going through enough trauma. Like, do you remember? I remember sitting in the theater. I felt mad. Uh, I felt sad. And maybe they were like, don't, don't show, don't show Sherry. She's too, she's too pure. Yeah, like on one hand, I feel like part uh, one thread of this is I feel like the Black Panther characters, like, okay, like kind of keep getting kind of not quite getting their due in the framing and the promotion, so I think that's part of it. But also, yeah, seeing Shuri die on camera right after Peter Parker, they're both teenagers, <laughs> they're kids. It might have been, it might that have been, been you know, and like her mom has lost her brother, her son, it, it's a lot, her husband, eh, oh. I'll, I'll never forget though when Black all that. It's a thing. But anyways, justice <laughs> for Shuri, all right? Bring her back. Let's leave it with this one from Steph, AKA fucking Marvel. Made a quick what? edit. Wait a minute. Look at that. How we after, after like all sad and stuff and it was like, well, here's this mean ass I tweet. I love it. I'm just sorry. Funny. I think that should be official. That should be canon. Marvel, you should pay her for that image and then you should just put those up all oh over. Oh my God. Well, let's take it to the timeline. If, and I'm going to say when Shuri gets her own movie from Marvel, I feel that it is in the cards. What do you want to see happen in that movie? Let us know using the hashtag Justice for Shuri. Oh, justice I like, for Shuri. I like that justice you, for Shuri. you use the secret there. You kind of put it out put into it the out universe. There. I look forward to her, her solo movie. Well, listen, a truly can you believe this is happening in 2019 story? Here's the tweet from BuzzFeed News. A New York County has banned unvaccinated children from public spaces as it faces the worst measles outbreak in almost two decades. I have had it with these nasty-ass parents refusing to vaccinate their nasty-ass kids. I've had it. BuzzFeed News science reporter Dan Vergano joins us now to talk about it. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, guys. Okay, I can't believe we have to even discuss this in 2019, but it is not a rare case. Uh, how did this outbreak start? Why is it occurring and where is it going on? Uh, well, it's in Rockland County, which is about 30 miles outside of New York City, and it's uh, largely uh, among an ultra-Orthodox uh, Jewish community there, uh, the private schools and so forth. Uh, it seems to have started from a, a child uh, in Israel where there was an outbreak uh, coming back to New York State and spreading there. Measles is just uh, tremendously uh, infectious and it's uh, just spread like wildfire. There's about 153 cases in the county, and 49 of them since. Um, this just in this year. So the outbreak isn't stopping and the, the county has basically run out of patience with it. Okay, the county's basically run out of patience. What does that mean? What does this ban look like? Right. Who is enforcing it? And how long will it last? Well, it's a 30 day ban. Um, and what it means is uh, any, any, any children, that means anybody under 18 who hasn't been vaccinated for measles uh, isn't allowed in a public place, which is defined as uh, any place where 10 or more people gather. So that's uh, schools, uh, restaurants, uh, stores. There was a Target where apparently kids were being taken uh, and places of worship. Uh, and so how is this being enforced? Uh, it's not. Uh, what's going to happen is the county is going to find cases where there's outbreaks, uh, again, where there's more cases, and they're going to trace it back and figure out where it came from. And they're going to figure out it was kids who were infectious and weren't vaccinated and their parents did it. And then they'll be on the hook for uh, either a $500 fine or six months in prison. So it's basically a threat here, like, hey, if you do this and we find out you make a bunch of people sick, then we're going to come back and, and, you know, we're threatening you with prison time. 
God, I mean, this is public health 101. Uh, what has the reaction to the ban been? Uh, well, it's a little too early to tell. This is just the first day of it, really. Um, in interviews, people have said different things. Uh, uh, parents, you know, particularly people who have, you know, infants, you know, who were too young to get vaccinated or, you know, want this, want, want these people to cut it out. Their kids are going to get sick. Um, the rabbinical council in the county supported the move. Um, it's, it's hard to get a reaction from the people who aren't vaccinated. They're, they're, they've taken this step because they're hanging up the phone and slamming doors in the faces of public health inspectors. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the whole thing is, you know, the specter of uh, people, you know, asking Jewish kids for their papers, you know, which is the weird or fear here is that it makes puts a lot of people on edge. So it's not going to be done that way. But uh, we have to see how it's handled, you know, what 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 comes out. Of it. And, I, and that was part of the thing that stuck out to me. Right. They are not setting up checkpoints. This is not no. going to be a place like it's really just about trying to raise awareness and make sure people aren't bringing unvaccinated children into spaces where they could help spread the outbreak. Let me ask, what else is the county doing to kind of try and basically overcome this health crisis? Uh, well, they've been running like a massive vaccination drive. Um, you know, there's announcements, you know, come on down, free vaccination. They have been setting up public health inspectors to knock on doors, uh, get people vaccinated. Uh, there's been this tremendous um, sort of public relations campaign where they have enlisted, you know, the rabbinical council to say there's no religious exemption for this, folks. You know, you ought to go ahead and do it. Um, it's just that the after getting the numbers up to about 80 percent vaccinated in the county, it stopped. And so they feel like they have to take this step. You need something like 95% uh, vaccination in order to have herd immunity for measles because it's a tremendously uh, infectious disease, you know, 90% infectious, which is hugely, uh, you know, compared to something like the, the flu, this is a very infectious disease. And also, I, I, I just want to say, that my, something that drives me crazy with anti-vaccine and all of this kind of stuff, because of the herd immunity, this stuff disproportionately then impacts poor families, um, people oh, who, yeah. who cannot affect medical care. Can you remind people about that? Well, you just said it, uh, you know, it's it's the people who are in a bad place, like I was saying, you know, the poor uh, people with young children or, or, you know, people who have uh, immune system disorders, you know, that makes them more, you know, they can't get the vaccination. And so it makes them more uh, vulnerable to these kind of things. Those are the people who end up dying or getting very sick or getting injured because of this thing. Measles does kill people, you know, one to two thousand, one in a thousand, two in a thousand people who get it die. So this is, you know, serious business. Serious business indeed. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. All right, well, here's a tweet from ABC's Terry Moran. Cook County Clerk's Office tells ABC they were shocked that no written motions were filed with the court in connection with today's surprising dismissal in the Smollett case. On top of that, the case has been wiped off their database as if it never existed. That is news to me. That's pretty wild. That is wild. I mean, to me, yeah. like... You've, you've been in a bureaucratic system before. Yeah. Think about how quickly. It's like, that's pretty fast. a file? That's, that's, a, uh, <laughs> that's wild. That doesn't happen. And of course, everything related to this Jesse Smollett case has been surreal, bizarre, frustrating. Um, but I say yesterday, you know, news of the charges dropping. And then we get to the press conference from Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who really should just sit there and eat his food. Uh, and the Chicago police superintendent. It was surreal and crazy. And so to have Rahm Emanuel calling the charges uh, being dropped, quote, a whitewash of justice. Ah, a word. A choice. But this is an interesting choice. Uh, let's get into that. Here's, <laughs> here's a helpful reminder from Sam Sway about Rahm Emanuel, who has approved a contract with Chicago police that gives them names of anyone who reports them for misconduct. 48 hours to, quote, cool off, interesting, uh, before being interrogated. It prohibits, uh, prohibits accused officers' names from being made public and erases all records of their misconduct. The erasure. Mm, that word, that word comes to mind. A word that comes to mind is whitewash. Okay. That, that is what That's that, what that is be. actually what that mm. would be. Mm -hmm. Dr. Nicole Gonzalez Van Cleve, who has written about Chicago's criminal justice system for the New York Times and the Atlantic, joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Reporting live from the Philadelphia airport. I love it. We, I love it. We love that you're on the road, that you're on the go. Thank you so much I for am. taking time this morning. So were you surprised by the mayor and police superintendent's press conference yesterday? I am surprised about the collective amnesia, if you will, from the mayor at this stage. I mean, this is a man that has basically been pushed out of office, uh, decided not to run because of the Laquan McDonald uh, murder. 
Um, if you remember, if the viewers remember, Jason Van Dyke was a Chicago police officer that shot this young man 16 times, and it ensued a cover-up that stretched all the way into the prosecutor's office. I had researched this system for a decade. I was actually there in the prosecutor's office clerking alongside, and the sheer corruption and racism that seeds through this system is appalling. And so for the mayor to speak out and be outraged that these uh, charges were dropped, it's almost like we need to step back for a second and not worry about the guilt or innocence um, of, of, of this actor. But we have to think about this is kind of a normal thing that might happen in the city of Chicago, that prosecutors often use discretion to drop charges, especially small charges like this. So for Rahm Emanuel to cherry pick this case when officers are literally shooting and harming people in the city and have no sense of accountability is is really a, a gross hypocrisy. Right. And to that point, again, you've been writing about this for 10 years. You've clerked. Um, in a 2018 article you wrote about how the then top prosecutor, Kim Fox, uh, she tried to undo this dark history of exonerating, uh, dark history. She exonerated 42 people. She apologized for wrongful convictions. Um, really tried to bring in a new era of transparency. Um, right. So then we get to yesterday. Um, and not only are the charges are dropped, of course, but of course the records have been sealed and seemingly like erased from databases. There there was also, of course, that bizarre, like two sentence uh, statement that was released this back and forth. What's going on here with Kim Fox? This seems at odds with what she's trying to do. You know, what's a little confusing is, is that at first she, she recused herself for some communication between the parties. What is unclear is exactly which prosecutor, rank and file prosecutor was in charge of this case. Now, uh, there are numerous times when people have their prosecution nullified. So they go in, they're charged with a crime. There's not ample evidence. And they, the prosecutor may use their discretion to drop the charges. I've seen this happen for poor defendants. Um, and I've seen this happen a lot of times for wealthy defendants that are charged with a first offense, a DUI, for instance. And they kind of, you know, expeditiously push these cases out to supposedly not cause more harm for the defendant. Um, so it's possible that it's part of that context. I think the issue is the increased scrutiny that we're getting from the media and the kind of outrageousness of what this accusation was, right? That he actually framed his own assaults, um, the racial undertones and abuse, abusive part. Did he manipulate a system? I mean, there's so many questions un, you know, unanswered. The issue, though, is was there enough evidence, right? Did the police bring to the prosecution's office enough credible evidence to actually pursue charges? And that we really just do not know at this point, but it's possible that prosecutors can do this. If they feel that the police give faulty evidence and it's, the case doesn't look good, sometimes they are willing to drop the charges rather than gamble with their law license or any other types of ethical issues. Mm. Especially, like you said, with so much media attention. I want to get yeah. back to Mayor Rahm Emanuel, though, for a second. Yeah. What does he gain by all of a sudden kind of centering this converse, this conversation, this, this, this whole situation around himself? Like, what does he gain by stepping into all this? You know, I, at this stage, it is very unclear to me. And I mean, I, you know, this is truth be told, back in the Clinton days, um, I actually worked in the West Wing and Rahm Emanuel was there. And so he's part of the Democratic Party, right? He was working for the Obama administration. One would think that he'd have a progressive politics when it comes to police brutality and police accountability. However, in his administration, he has absolutely done nothing. He's, as you reported earlier, stood in the way for reforms. He has protected bad officers at all costs. And just to give you a sense of how bad it is in Chicago, since 2011, they've, the police departments incurred $738 million worth of settlements related to these police misconduct cases, which the city would rather settle than reform its own system. So to quote uh, the $10,000 worth of bond that people, you know, in some ways were saying, well, this cost the city, right? The investigation of this, of, uh, this Millette case cost the city so much. We have to put this in, in context, right? And so, you know, Rahm Emanuel is really a precarious figure. Who knows what his future is? But certainly, in some ways, with the Trump administration coming in, he's kind of used that uh, new administration to avoid accountability. Okay. And, and, and quickly before we let you go, I've seen a lot of tweets where people were like, why did so many people seemingly just go along with the Chicago PD and the super, superintendent in the first place, knowing the ongoing record? Uh, is that something that has frustrated you? You know, it is frustrating because uh, the previous prosecutor, Anita Alvarez, she would not charge Jason Van Dyke, who was later then convicted of murder. The prosecution and police officers in Chicago worked as a unit. That was prior to Kim Fox. When bad cases came in or suspects were shot, it was protocol not to question these officers. 
They engaged in intimidation and, and sometimes violence, right? Prosecutors would be blacklisted. So the idea that this new era is unleashing some type of tension, you know, in my view, it's a good thing, right? And, and, and again, I said, I started by saying there is a collective amnesia, at least from the mayor and the superintendent, and as well as some of the journalists in the city of Chicago. Where is the context in their reporting that they're not talking about the blatant abuse, you know, the torture of 130 suspects over the course of 30 years? None of that has been paid back. There's been no reform to give people some ease at the injustice that they suffered. Wow. Well, um, Nicole, thank you for joining us this morning and bringing thank such so much. Thanks. Hope you catch your flight. Yeah, I hope she will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So later in the show, you are going to see Isaac's sit-down interview with Paul Shear from The League. Also, I'm so excited. Ben Smith and I are going to be getting on the phone with Mayor Pete of South Bend, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, but up next, it's Fire Tweets with Chris Gear from You're the Worst. Ooh, we got a packed show today. <laughs> a lot going on. <laughs> Hey friends, this is a special edition of Fire Tweets. I'm joined by actor Chris Gear from You're the Worst and Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I'm so excited about Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Uh, you're going to help me with some Fire Tweets. I am indeed. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm you're feeling, very uh, feeling nervous, feeling good. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to, go. ready to roll. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take turns hitting tweets. We're going to okay. read them from the prompter and then talk about them. Great. I'll go first. Let's okay. do it. Our first tweet comes from Discount Pete Davidson, and that is cheap. Okay. <laughs> Discount Pete Davidson, you tweeted, Apple Music, I don't know. Here, just pick something. Mm. Spotify, Master, I hope you don't mind, but while you were asleep, I tracked your brain activity. According to my results, these are the songs you should listen to today. In this order, for maximum productivity, I trust you will be pleased. Okay, I think we have a, a difference in strategy. I love I, I love Spotify. You do? But the problem is, if you're, if you're listening to it at, say, four or five o'clock in the morning, okay. after having a few drinks, okay. and you're playing those type of songs, uh -huh. the Dancing on the Tabletop okay. songs, and then suddenly on a Sunday afternoon they say, I think you should listen to this, oh. then you go, eh, maybe not, maybe not. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely happened that, when I've been like listening it late and then you wake up and you're like, what has happened to my playlist? What's yeah, going on? Yeah, absolutely. Or if you're in the gym and suddenly that song that when you broke up, <laughs> you're listening to like... Uh, Whitney Houston ballad or something like that. Waiting uh, to exhale yeah. or something. I love it. I love it. All right, you ready to do your first I'm ready to go. Right. right, let's go. Okay. You'll be looking over there. Over there. Right, ready? Okay, so when you are getting along with a co-worker and they take it too far and hit the we should hang out outside of work, Oh, that's a lot. Well, I think we've all been there. We've all been there. Okay, no, no, no shade, no shade, but has no. this ever happened to you on set? Well, I'm usually the one that says, uh, <laughs> <laughs> should we, should we guys? go okay. hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm best friends, I'm best like, friends. And everyone oh, goes, no, no. I was no, just no. trying to be polite. That was just... my job, and now I'm going home to my family. And I go, <laughs> well, I'll be in that pub. If you want to, I'll be there tomorrow. Now, I've heard, like, we have some, you know, co-workers here in the newsroom who are from Australia and UK, and they talk about always going to the pub. Is yeah. like that on set with actors? Oh, huge. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's part of the work day. Yeah, that's what I've heard. You know, like, it's not... You might rap at seven, but in your head, you're rapping at ten. Oh, no, okay, you got, Chris. You got three hours of uh, socializing. And this is why your co-workers are like, I can't, I can't do <laughs> I can't this again. I can't go out with that guy. I can't do this again. Such a bad influence. <laughs> I'm also notorious for asking people to go out if I have the day off the next day? I've done that. Yeah. I've totally done that. Yeah, and you don't tell them. No. You don't tell them no. until the next day. Yeah, you go, oh, I'm not in. How crazy. <laughs> I love it. Oh, we're terrible. This is yeah. bad. Okay, this next tweet comes from Ramblin' Mama. You tweeted, the fastest land mammal is a toddler who has been asked what is in their mouth. Oh, I've read articles. I've read articles. Do you have kids? Yes, I do. Is this is this? Accurate? I have. I have a little boy who's six, and I remember it so well. Like <laughs> just out of the corner, you're like, what is that? <laughs> what what is that? And then you are off, and, and they're, they're off, they're and it's a, it's a Tom and Jerry like catch, <laughs> catch them up. And I've also heard that like um, toddlers are like really strong. Like if you're holding baby, and then they like punch you in the face. Or... Incredible. There's some incredible like videos of the like hanging off the kitchen counter and. Uh, <laughs> Like Tarzan's mad, mad what they can do, and they have no fear, oh, no well, shame I mean, whatsoever. Like, it's uh, it's kind of great. It's kind of great. Okay, we're gonna do tweet of the day. Let's do it. We'll both hit this one. Okay. We need to read this one. Okay, tweet of the day. Guy at the airport just took my food order and then said, "That is an excellent choice, sir." I said, "Oh, thank you." And he then smiled and winked at me. 
I think it was accidental. Either way, I'm slightly excited by the whole experience. Oh, okay. Aha. Uh -huh. From... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm still confused by it. I'm going to read very... so it said thank you. He smiled and winked. Slightly excited. Why are you so excited? What was going on, buddy? I, uh, I, well, I get, there's a difference between okay. um, when you're in England and when you're in America. When okay. you're in England, it's literally like, what do you want? Yeah, brilliant, whatever. Oh. Like that. Over here, it's like, well done. Eye contact. Congratulations on what you have just... <laughs> What, what you have just decided to select from the menu that we have printed you. That's interesting. Uh, but when there's any sort of kind of winking involved and uh -huh. that kind of thing, it's just, it just adds to the experience. Well, well, it's, 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 it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about your The Worst. Yes. Uh, last season. It is the last season. It's season five. Season five. What does it feel like wrapping it up? The worst. It's very peculiar. It feels like uh, it feels like uh, I was in a very long, wonderful relationship, and now that relationship is over, <laughs> and I might just sit in my room and cry for a while. Oh, uh, no, no. Yeah, you should go was... like go to talk to some cashiers and have some. Nice yeah, moments. it was it was incredible. I think in this day and age, when you get the opportunity to do five seasons mm -hmm. and to finish it on your terms, that is so rare, so mm -hmm. beautiful. We made some great friends, we made some great TV, and yeah. I think uh, we're all really proud of everything we've achieved. Yeah, so, I've heard you, you, I mean, a lot of people have even just talked to me about the impact of the show on them, and like, yeah. mental health, and, and having these conversations, and doing it in an authentic way is so helpful. Um, but I've also heard you've gotten messages from people too. Yes, right? yeah, the, the, it's wonderful how people have been so open and candid mm -hmm. about their experiences of mm -hmm. the show, and I think as a, as a anyone in the creative industry, if, okay. if your work is, is bringing about a positive response in uh -huh. any way. It's just, it's fantastic. So we, 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 we did so many wonderful different subjects during the five seasons. And I've made some good friends with the fans. Okay. It's been fantastic. You know, I have kind of regular conversations with people that. on social media and uh, people are genuinely upset that the that the show is ending, but yeah. so grateful that it happened in the first place. And I think that's the greatest thing you can ask for. As I love a, it. As five actor. seasons, that's a lot. To, that's you know, pretty cool. In. I love it. Okay, so we've got to talk about uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Yes. I have so many questions. First of all, do you drink with your Pokemon co-stars? Uh, Go to the pub? Uh, no, 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 not as much, actually. That's <laughs> terrible form from me. I think it's depending on what show you're doing. Okay. If you're doing You're the Worst, you're more, you know, you're. We're shooting a scene in a bar, so uh -huh. we might as well might go well to the bar. Here. Okay, I got yeah, it. Okay. But uh, in Pokemon, it was uh, huge, big sets okay. with big kind of like fans and fire and broken glass and super cool. I love it. But uh, a lot of acting with tennis balls and a lot yeah, of, Have you uh, gotten to see it yet? Like the, the finish? No. So you're not just like, yet. those tennis balls are I, great, man. I am. So excited because it's the first thing that my son can ever see me in uh, because everything else I've done is not necessarily yes. appropriate for a six-year-old. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be it's going to be fantastic to take him and his buddies down to the theater and and watch this really cool movie together. I so, love it. That's really sweet. Yeah, that's really sweet. And he can you know you're the worst. will be there in the yeah. time capsule. Yes, exactly. It. He can watch that when when he's thirty-five. Okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think uh, they've already. Pre-warned me that I might be quite cool on the uh, on the on the playground with the oh, kids, right because so. all these kids. I mean, yeah. Pokemon has covered huge. generations yeah, and generations. Yeah. So, you know, my son my son's school has two hundred kids in it. They're going to go and watch this movie, oh, and when I go and pick him up from yeah. school, cool dad. You got to prepare. <laughs> Finally, cool Okay, we'll leave it. Well, Chris, you're obviously a delight. I love oh, it. So excited you. for people to see you in a whole new way. Thank you for doing fire tweets, thank too, because this is terrifying. It's a terrifying. It is, but I love scary. it. Do what scares you. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> you can watch the final episodes of You're the Worst on FXX and Pokemon Detective Pikachu premieres nationwide May 10th. So excited to geek out over it. Up next, we are going live from the district. I'm, I'm not excited about talking about DC politics, but hi. <laughs> Hello, my queens. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nidhi Prakash. Good morning, Nidhi. Hello, good morning. 
Always good to see you. Okay, so yesterday, uh, some people got a pretty confusing alert from Twitter about Betsy DeVos and the Special Olympics. I saw it, it was confusing. Here's what Tyler Kincaid had to say about it. Um, while Twitter did not state anything incorrect in this alert, it's concerning. It takes you to a page where you are more likely to see a viral tweet that incorrectly states De DeVos unilaterally cut funding than a news article describing how this is for now just a proposal. That is so key. It is just a proposal for now. So what's going on here? Right. I mean, so basically, I think it is exactly that, exactly what Tyler said, in that there is a huge difference between something that is just a proposal. It's been proposed a few times before and uh, got knocked down in Congress uh, and something that has is definitely happening. And especially, I think, when we're talking about something that could really affect people's lives like this, it is quite irresponsible to kind of conflate those two things. Yeah, conflate those two things. Again, a proposal... Not actually, you know, the proposal is happening, but not actually what mm -hmm. that viral tweet was stating. Uh, listen, yesterday behind closed doors, right. President Trump took another swipe at Puerto Rico's fiscal management and the size of its disaster relief. Burgess Everett tweeted this after meeting with Republicans. Trump showed a chart at lunch with the GOP trying to make a point that Puerto Rico spends too much money. Nitty, this is something you've reported on for a very long time. How accurate were Trump's numbers? I mean, so to be honest with you, we don't know what these numbers were or where he was getting them from. Um, it's very hard to say because it's very unclear, you know, even what his source was for these numbers. Um, it's, some of the senators yesterday said that it was a charts that he had that showed that Puerto Rico has received a lot more money than other places that have gone through natural disasters. Um, I mean, I think that it's pretty clear if you look at the kind of level of destruction that went on there. Uh, and look at how quickly that money went out and even the kind of funding that they're getting now that that doesn't really make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be, I would be very interested to know where he's getting these numbers from. Right. And, and as Isaac mentioned, you have been reporting on the situation in Puerto Rico post Maria for, well, almost two years now. So what's at stake if this funding uh, doesn't reach the island? So there are still people there who um, are struggling to put their houses back together. Um, the infrastructure is still in serious need of some help. And, you know, every year as we come into a new hurricane season, it's always a concern that another storm is going to hit this island. Um, obviously, Hurricane Maria was something that was, you know, historically something that we'd never seen before. Um, but even a storm that's milder than that could knock out the electricity grid again and lead to all kinds of problems. So there's all these kinds of infrastructure issues, you know, and even just down to people having their own roofs not fixed yet. Wow. Okay, and if the bill passed, how much relief will they actually receive? Let's talk about some real numbers. So this bill actually, so it is, this bill is a little complicated because it, actually only includes funding for food stamps for Puerto Rico at this point. So it includes $600 million worth of food stamp funding, which is something that people are in dire need for. They've already seen massive cuts this month to their food stamp checks. Um, but that's all it contains. Um, there are Democrats who have been speaking out about it and are asking uh, for this bill to include something closer to the bill that the House passed in January. And that included more funding for actually fixing some of the infrastructure and getting some of those systems um, back up. All right. Well, we will continue to follow this. Nitty, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. All right, friends. Up next, Stephanie is talking about the Babysitter's Club. Did you read the Babysitter's Club? You know, as an adult, I've picked them up a few times. Really? It was not part of uh, part of what I was doing as a kid. What about you? I've yet to partake. I would love to know which one you identify most with. Y'all should tell me. Which one am I? <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. Thoughts by Alicia tweeted, Fact, I read every single Babysitter's Club book as a child at least three times. Fact, they're making a new series from the books on Netflix. Fact, my husband is going to be pretty miserable when it comes out. Fact, all three of these above facts please me. Oh, how they please. You're diabolical, Alicia. You guys should pick a show together, or you should just enjoy the Babysitter's Club show. And Jack Shepard and Tana Greenring, who are hosts of the Babysitter's Club Club podcast, join me now to talk all about this iconic series and its exciting return to the small screen. Hey guys, how's it going? Hello. Hi. Hey, so I got to get the obvious question here out of the way. You guys are the hosts of the Babysitter's Club Club podcast, but you're also two grown men. Explain that. Well, I read these books as a boy. Um, I was, uh, when I came to the United States uh, at eight years old, 
um, I spent a lot of time hanging out with my cousin and she had the entire series in her room. And so I read the whole series um, at the time. And I introduced Tanner to them when we started doing this podcast um, when I wanted to go back and revisit them. Yeah, so that's kind of your guys' vibe, right? You're kind of the true fan, Jack. And Tanner, you're kind of the, the, new, uh, the new convert to the fandom. Well, I don't know. I've read almost every single Babysitter's Club book now, so I feel like I'm, I'm, it's old hat for me now at this point. Okay, so how many books in the series do you think one has to read to really get a full sense or to become a true fan of the series? Because it started in 1986. All of us, myself included, read them all growing up and actually ended in the 2000s after I personally was too old to read them. So how many do you think you need to read to truly have the full canon in your mind? I think read um, all 131 if I was if I were you. All right. Yeah, I agree with Tanner. I think if you want to get a real flavor of the series, you should read all 131 canonical Babysitters Club books, as well as the entire mysteries and the super specials and the super mysteries. What and about Forever and uh, California Diaries? What about Little Sister? Because that was my personal fave. Those as well. Yeah, those are good. I was obsessed with Karen, like obsessed with her. When I got glasses, I was like copying her 100%. But how does your podcast expand on the series? I've heard you have some interesting theories about what's going on in their town. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, well, they're all bees. Go ahead, Jack. Tanner thinks they're all bees. I'll let you expound on that, Tanner. Yeah, I think when you're a 35-year-old man reading these books for the first time, um, you kind of have to dig a little deeper to, to find something that's uh, a little more compelling and interesting. But if you do just kind of scratch the surface a little bit, you, you find bees, you find bread, you find sentient purple orbs. Like, it's all right there in the books. What it, Bees, what exactly are you talking about? Or should I just listen to the podcast? Or should we just listen to the podcast to get a sense of what you're talking about? The thing about the bees is like at no point in the books do they ever say that the girls of the babysitters club aren't bees. So we just kind of have to assume that they are at this point. All right. All right. I get it. I get it. So obviously Netflix is making a version of the series based on the books. You know, we all have the iconic movie from back in the day with Rachel Lee Cook. So what do you want to see in this reboot? Um, the thing that I'm most worried about, and this has been keeping me up ever since I heard that they're rebooting the series, is it sounds like they're going to be updating it. Um, and that means that with smartphones, there will be no need for Claudia at all because she's the <laughs> vice president of the club because she has a phone in her room and her own independent line. Um, so that's something that's been really worrying me. I don't know what they're going to do about that issue. Maybe they'll just pretend that smartphones don't exist in this universe. That is so true. That's such a good point. What about you, Tanner? Um, I guess maybe child labor laws. They've probably come a long way since 1986. And I'm worried that some governing body will step in and, and put a stop to the babysitter's club before it even begins. Wow. That's a lot to think about. But obviously, <laughs> obviously we're all just going to have to tune in and see. Maybe the babysitter's club will die before it ever gets off the ground. Well, you guys are so funny and you've made all of us want to keep listening to your amazing podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Up next, you'll see Isaac sit down with a very funny Paul Shear. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be joined by Paul Shear. You know him from The League and the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Now he's on Showtime's hilarious Black Monday. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're really happy to have you, man. Now, before we talk about Black Monday, yes. I want to ask you about a few of your other projects. you got a lot of irons in the sure, fire. Yeah. Um, one of them is Longshot. Yes. Longshot, and it's about, it's kind of Fox News-esque. Well, yeah, so Longshot's this like romantic comedy with <laughs> Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, and throughout the film, she's running for president, mm -hmm. and I play a Fox News, kind of Fox and Friends correspondent that's always commenting on how she's doing. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's never about the politics, it's always about like how she looks, mm -hmm. or if women can actually you know be in power. Like It's like the worst you know, commentary. So not based in reality at all. <laughs> not based in reality at all. 
Uh, did you have to watch a lot of Fox News to kind of gear up for it? It looks oh, like such an exciting movie. I love Fox and Friends, and I think <laughs> why I love it so much is it's like, because it's partly like what you get when you watch, you know, Colbert or Ellen. It's like this, it's fun, it's poppy, mm-hmm. but then they're also dealing with real news. So they're kind of like bridging this like gap of like being real casual, but then talking about incredible devastation. It's like, you know, it's like all of a sudden like a music cue's coming in. It's like, and that hurricane happened. They call it, hi, my name is what? <laughs> My name is like, wait, wait, what is going on over here? And, and they're never, and they never look comfortable. Every, everyone's like this, you know. You, you know, you have to do it a little bit too. Yep, yep, yep. But it's all, it's always like this. It's like, how do you sit comfortably without? Being like in, I'm yeah. a normal human talking about yeah, fun like, stuff. And so it's a lot of, it's a lot of crotch, and a lot of hands. <laughs> it's in there and there. So I kind of, I want to host a show yeah. with you now. Uh, given that you, you've, you've looked into this for your character, uh, yeah. I, I just want to ask: Do you have any feelings about the Mueller report? Any, uh, you've been watching a lot well, of news. Well, I, I don't know what the Mueller report is. I know what the bar report. <laughs> Is. I, I, I read the bar report. I don't know what the Mueller report is. Uh, but you know what? I, I, I can't wait until or Ryan Murphy makes it into some amazing miniseries. It's, it's, it's That's what I can't wait. To, uh, who will play Robert Mueller in the, in the FX miniseries? That's the thing that you're, can't really, wait. you're really excited for. You've got, like I said, a lot of projects. Another one's called Unsend? Yes. So Unsend is a show I'm doing right now on Comedy Central Online. You can actually watch it on YouTube. It stars uh, Patty Harrison and uh, Joel Kim Booster, and it's kind of like a takedown of all the embarrassing things that people do online. Like Ian Summerholder, the dude from Vampire Diaries, literally will write text longer than term papers I wrote in college, you know, and it's all full of hashtags and ridiculousness. As a matter of fact, last night Ian Summerholder shaved his head and then got sober in the middle of shaving it, so he has a half haircut. It's amazing. So the show kind of celebrates all these like social media fails. And Patty Harrison and, and Joel are so incredibly funny. And yeah, it's just like we talk about how Christy Alley, like when, uh, when Stephen Hawking died, she's like, thanks for your input. Thanks for your input? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've all been there, though, yeah, right? We've always Thanks shown, for your input. Don't bet anything. No one, was, no one was chomping at the bit. We need Kirstie to weigh in on really Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Just say nothing. We've all been there, though. We've all had that one, oh, man, that maybe didn't land the way I thought it would. Did you, do you have any, like, oh. tough online moments? Well, you know that I think everybody watching, and yourself included, we've all hit like a reply email to the person that we're talking about Mm. to the person Mm. that uh, it's, it's the most uncomfortable thing. Uh, I remember I did it to a boss of mine and I just, (laughs) and I meant to forward it to my friend who I was working on this show with. And I just wrote in big caps, stupid. (laughs) And I sent it back to him. And, and then, and then you realize it and the panic sets in. And then, you know, there's like that five second period where you're like, should I kill myself? It's a viable option. Should I end it all right now? I can move to the sea. I can live off the land. Yeah. I, I, I like, it was like, kill myself, run away. Then I get into technology. I'm like, all right, I need to invent a program that will never happen again. And then you have to come face to face with it. And there's two ways you can go. One, which is you, you basically have to lie. You have to be like, Aha, joking, stupid, I meant like, that's stupid. Great note. You haven't heard that stupid means hot now? Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah. So, or you could just think, hey, I was actually really frustrated. But no one ever takes the truth way. People just go like, oh, I was, a, I was joking with you because you were saying stupid. Yeah, and then you just get caught up in this like crazy lie and you're, like, you're sending other texts and emails. And is that what you did in that moment? Absolutely. 100%. I, 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 was, like, yeah, I was like, you know what? I, I was just saying like, stupid me. I, I was stupid for doing the thing that you didn't like. And now I'm like, all right, now I got it. Now I'm smart because of your note. It's one I of think the, it works. It's one of those moments you wish you had that unsend button. Oh That's the God. thing. I feel like people in those moments can actually be very forgiving because we do all have those moments. Yeah, but it's still like going like, you're a jerk, and then you and then you're like, huh? And then they're like, hey, I didn't mean it. And like we that. have yeah. and we have to be in the same room. Yeah. Now let, let's talk Black Monday, though. All right, it's yes, 1987 sure. stock market crash. You mm-hmm. play Keith. He is just kind of a jerk. Yeah, when you first meet Keith, he's kind of like the typical like Wolf of Wall Street kind of character, and then mm-hmm. you kind of reveal that through this character, like he's living in the you know he's like closeted guy mm-hmm. who is actually has a softer side, but he can't show it in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But yes, he is. Uh, he's a tremendous asset. Is it? Fun 
fun for you to be able to actually have a little depth and, and development when an asshole character comes. Just, just yeah. throwing it out there, you do tend to play a, a, a bit I, of a number of assholes. Yeah, I mean, it's different variations on the theme, you know, so it's like a rainbow assortment of them. I mean, Andre, I guess, uh, from the league can kind of be that kind of a person, but he's an asshole for a different way, which is like kind of being like a rich dick, you know, and then Keith, I think, is more of the aggressive bro culture guy, uh, 30 Rock, I think I was a jerk. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm a jerk. I don't know. Well, I wanted to ask you real quick about that. Yeah. Are people so surprised when they meet you and you're actually very pleasant and nice? Aside no, because from that I one don't boss? make eye contact with people and I yell at everybody I see. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like hopefully... Uh, you know, I think when you're doing a comedy, it's a little bit easier to get away with people thinking that you're nice. Like if mm. I was on like a drama show and I was like an asshole, then I feel people would be afraid of me. But on a comedy show, I think people like, I don't know, like they're a little bit more forgiving of me. They, you know? they understand that you're having and fun And if they're with not, it. I just choke them out. Right, and they, that's when the asshole that, really yeah, yeah, comes exactly. out. I get it, you got an inner darkness yeah. to you, and I like <laughs> it. Uh, but speaking of having a little bit of fun, we just want to yes. play a game real quick okay. uh, before we let you go here. All right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be called One's Gotta Go, okay. 80s edition. If you're not familiar, one's, I get it. you know One's Gotta Go. Yeah. People play it on Twitter all the time. All right, so you ready? Yes. One's Gotta Go, The Breakfast Club, Back to the Future, or Ghostbusters. Oh, I think it's got to be The Breakfast Club. Gone? Gone. Oh, breaking yeah. my heart. Well, I mean, you can't get rid of Back to the Future. Okay. I mean, Back to the Future is, you know, and for me, Ghostbusters is one of my favorite movies of all time. So it was an easy choice, a hard choice in the grand scheme of those are three great movies, but... But for bye you... Bye, bye, bye. And by the way, Breakfast Club. Problematic, am I right? I mean, we can all agree, I, some problematic elements. I feel like that's true of a lot of 80s films. And a lot of John Hughes films, there are a lot of things like, e yeah. e doesn't age too well. Looking back on it, not wrong, not yes, wrong. Yes, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, less problematic elements. Got it, one's gotta go. Spandex, parachute pants, shoulder pads. Hmm, I think I would get rid of, this is a good one, shoulder pads. Yeah. What, what are we? Like, are we like, are we samurai? Why do we need to impress people with our shoulder girth? We don't need it. I mean, Grace Jones looked like a, like a triangle for most of her. Like, I, I don't think You can't come for Grace Jones fashion, but I think a lot, a lot of the Wall Street, a lot yes. of the Wall Street yeah, yes. that, that walking around. Well, I mean, not a, I mean, you think Wall Street? Like, I feel like shoulder pads is a very uh, female fashion thing to kind of make you look like fump, fump. Like, and you right? want that gone. Yes. I'm very surprised that you didn't go for parachute pants. Oh, they're the best. You gotta get it out. Get your stuff. Hang it out. Let it loose. Let it fly. You want parachute pants back. Get it in there. And by the way, you never know when you're going to be thrown out of a plane. <laughs> So you gotta have the version. <laughs> yeah. All right, one's gotta go. Yeah. Gremlins, the Goonies, or the Shining. Um, I'm gonna get rid of Gremlins. I, I love Goonies mm -hmm. uh, and I love the Shining, but like Gremlins, do we need them? Are we talking about Gremlins that much? I don't think so. We got ghoulies. We got we got a lot of creatures crawling into your whatever. You know, I don't need these Gremlins are fine. The second one, they're dressing up in costumes. Where do they get the costumes? They had a lot of shoulder pads. Shopping around, yeah. <laughs> Come on, forget it. All right, last one. You ready? Mm -hmm. One's got to go. Music videos mm -hmm. for Take On Me, mm -hmm. Material Girl, mm -hmm. or We Are the World. Oh, I got to get on uh, the middle one. The uh, the uh, Material the, Girl. Material Girl. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, Madonna, fun, but I don't think Madonna has like. Oh, I guess she does have some good videos. So we are the world classic, right? Everyone, Everyone in the world and is in that. And I mean, take on me. Look, here's the thing. Does anyone know what Material Girl even looks like? No, I know this song. That, Don't but know take that. on me is like yeah. broke all the yeah, boundaries. Yeah, just like a prayer, we'd start to get into a discussion. You know? <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta watch my We Are the World. You've got opinions, and they are quick, I'm and trying, I love I'm it, trying. man. Paul, thank you so thank much you for so coming much. on the show. A pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. The season finale of Black Monday. Monday is this Sunday at 10 p.m. on yes. Showtime. Do not miss it. We've got more AM to DM in just a moment. And seriously. Welcome back. Everybody is talking about Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. And we wanted to talk to him so badly that we have him on the phone from the back seat of his car, the way CNN used to do with Donald Trump back in the day. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Mayor. Sure thing. Glad to be on the line with you. 
Thank you for joining us from the road. Okay, so of course, you are having what's fair to say a moment right now. It's not just on Twitter. We're beginning to see it reflected in polls. I want to ask you this. How are you going to keep up this momentum and not just be the guy that when we look back, we're like, oh yeah, what was his name? He was really hot for a minute in the spring of 2019. Yeah, I think for anybody who wants to outlive a sort of flavor of the month phase, the most important thing is the substance. So what we're trying to do is put forward uh, an account of uh, where America is headed, what we think we need to do about it, uh, what freedom, democracy, and security mean in substantive terms, especially why they point in a progressive direction, in my view. And you know, this moment for me really began with the, the CNN town hall. But what I said that night wasn't that different from what I've been saying everywhere I go. And so the big lesson I took away from it is there can be a very powerful response to what we have to say, but... Uh, we need to make sure people actually hear it. And as exciting as it is to have a lot of buzz right now and be seeing that momentum and, and even seeing it reflected in some early polling, uh, I'm under no illusion that that most people uh, have tuned into this process at all, let alone know uh, about our message. And so we just got to work twice as hard and make sure that we stay honest, uh, substantive, and grounded in the whole process. I think if you had sort of asked hack political journalists like me a few months ago what was going to be happening right now, we would have said that Beto O'Rourke was going to be the hot new thing, and instead it seems to be you. Do you, do you feel bad for him at all, that you've taken his kind of base? I think there's, there's room for a lot of us in this process, especially uh, when it's as early as it is. Uh, I do think there's, it's interesting that uh, uh, you know, there's a kind of half-life now on, on what's considered new. Uh, and it, it's amazing how, how much shorter that, that kind of half-life has become just in, in my political lifetime. But to me, that, that makes it all the more important that you just arrive with, with a, a real substantive center of gravity that carries you through moments when everybody's looking you over and, and moments when they're not, so that uh, uh, you have a thread that, that pulls you all the way through. I do think that you have now gotten to the place where there's a bit of a Mayor Pete backlash underway, which I think, you know, I saw Matt Stoller tweeting overnight, uh, sort of, former Bernie Sanders staffer who likes you, thinks you're a kind man, but said, um, my issue with Pete Buttigieg is that he's a McKinsey guy who has no enemies. And this means he will end up as a servant of the powerful. And, I, and, and that he, show me, show me who he's willing to fight. Mm. And, that you're, and I think, you know, that's a contrast with Elizabeth, Sand, with Elizabeth Warren, with Bernie Sanders, who have kind of spent their careers on the outside in a certain way. You did come up through these, you know, the great American institutions, the military, Harvard, McKinsey. So, and I, how do you how do you respond to that? Well, it's, it's certainly true that I participated in the business community. I particip participated in the military, and and that's part of my story. You know, another part of my story is that uh, I walked away from the the warm embrace of a comfortable position in, in that establishment in order to do something uh, really quirky, which was to take on a sitting state treasurer because I believe that. Uh, uh, his effort to destroy the rescue of the auto industry was going to harm uh, American Union auto workers and harm my home state. Uh, and I did it with little prospect of success, and I got my head handed to me in the election. But I learned a lot about uh, uh, what what matters in our society. I learned a lot about how politics works. I learned a lot about myself. And so pretty soon after that, I was doing uh, another thing that is not exactly out of the uh, Ivy League McKinsey playbook, which is uh, I decided to uh, compete to become the mayor of uh, my industrial Midwestern city and found the most purpose of, uh, of anything I've done in my career doing that uh, and uh, really worked to make good on some of the same principles that are now motivating my, my exploration of the presidential process. Okay, that's great. Let's talk about the gays, though, Pete. Um, here's a tweet from Ira <laughs> Madison. He tweeted, um, y'all are going to stop talking about Mayor Peak like he's just another straight white man running for office. It's possible to critique how he is covered in the press versus women in the race without erasing the fact that his presence as an openly gay man means something. And, and I agree with that as a gay man myself. So I wanted to ask you, Pete, identity is, of course, important, especially for people who tend to vote on the left. Do you think of yourself as a candidate who just happens to be gay, or are you the gay candidate? Uh, I think that might be a distinction without a difference. I mean, uh, I'm a whole person, right? And, and being gay is part of who I am, and, uh, and I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my marriage. I'm proud of my husband. Uh, I'm also not running to be a candidate for any one constituency group. So I'm mindful of, of the historic nature of being the first out candidate ever to compete for the presidency, or at least the first out elected official ever to do that. 
Um, but, uh, but also recognize that, you know, part of what I think identity in its best sense can do for us is give us terms to, to have solidarity with others, uh, others who may have experiences that I can't quite personally understand or relate to, but it, at least I know a little something about being, uh, being other, uh, or being part of a group that's, uh, uh that's on the short end of, uh, of bias in our society. And I hope that will make me uh, not only hopefully somebody that the LGBTQ community can can take some pride in, if I can live up to that, um, but also uh, somebody who can relate to anybody who has felt marginalized uh, for any number of reasons in in our country and, and in our society's life. The um the, the the Washington Post recently wrote that you actually wouldn't be the first gay president that that would be James Buchanan, and I understand you said the first out president, but this seems like the sort of thing that you would have a point of view on as a sort of a bit of a nerd. What do, what do you think? Um, uh, it it kind of sounds that way, but uh, my, my gaydar is not great to begin with, and it <laughs> definitely doesn't uh, work over uh, long stretches of time. So uh, I think we'll just have to let the historians figure that one out. Oh, I mean, I agree with you. My gaydar also does not always uh, pierce the time-space continuum, so I get it. Um, but I, <laughs> uh, I did also want to ask you, and I think this is an important and difficult question, what is the most pressing LGBT issue of this moment? Well, we need a Federal Equality Act. There, there's no question that it is uh, unacceptable in 2019 that in vast parts of America, including a lot of Indiana, though, Thankfully, not South Bend, because we did something about this. But but in a lot of America, uh, you can still be fired or, or mistreated for who you are, and it can be perfectly legal. Um, so it's not the only issue facing the, the LGBTQ community, but uh, I think it's one whose time has come and that we need to act on. Look, we shouldn't fool ourselves that now that marriage equality is the law of the land, uh, you know, something that, that uh, we have by the grace of a single vote margin on the Supreme Court. Uh, that doesn't mean the struggle is over. And, you know, the, the struggles that trans Americans face. Uh, and again, I don't pretend to know what it's like to be, uh, to be trans, but I know that I got to stand up for, uh, for fellow Americans, uh, who are transgender. Cause I know they've, they've stood up for people like me. Hmm. Um, you, uh, I guess you were, you're on the breakfast club yesterday and, and, and said that uh, you were asked about Chick-fil-A in a sort of related context said, I don't approve of their politics, but I kind of approve of their chicken and that you seek to build that bridge. And I was curious. I mean, I think there was a sort of boycott. Yeah, there was a boycott of Chick-fil-A, social media driven. And maybe I'm overinterpreting, but it sounds like you don't really buy into that kind of, I don't know, binary boycott culture that I'm curious what you what kind of what you make of that. I just want to make sure we don't overrate ourselves in terms of our ability to be pure in this regard. If, if, uh, if you're turned off as I am by the political behavior of Chick-fil-A or their executives, and, uh, that, uh, leaves a bad taste in your mouth, so to speak, you decide not to shop there. I, I certainly get it. And I support that. But, uh, you know, the reality is we, we, I, I think sometimes slip into a sort of virtue signaling in some cases where we're not, uh, really uh, uh, being consistent. I mean, what about all the other places we get our chicken from? Do, do we know, uh, you know, have we scrutinized the, the political, uh, uh, contributions of, uh, of the executives of other places that we get all of our food from? If there's a way to do it, and some people in the era of big data are starting to construct that, right? Where you can, you can align your shopping or your investing with your values. That's great. But, uh, I just want to make sure we're not too sanctimonious about this. Uh, because sometimes we, we, we put ourselves in this, uh, position of judgment that, that doesn't really hold up under scrutiny. And so, uh, you know, m my belief is that we should, um, we should primarily deal with political issues in the political arena. And when somebody's doing something, for example, wrong on LGBT rights in the political space, confront them, defeat them, and bring about a better policy. I'm sure our viewers appreciate that uh, a very sophisticated sort of enabling of continuing to eat Chick-fil-A. Something many of us, many of us are looking for. You are for. not going to rein me into this, Ben. Um, Pete, I, I was recently in Indiana. I got to spend some time at Indiana University in Bloomington, and I had a wonderful experience. But also throughout my two days there, uh, students and faculty members kept talking to me um, about the KKK presence um, in Indiana, their own experiences dealing with white nationalism in the state, which has a long history in Indiana. So um, what has been an elected official from Indiana, knowing its history, uh, taught you about dealing with white nationalism? Well, it certainly creates a, a level of obligation to 
to uh, provide a powerful counter current to that. Uh, it's true, you know, the Klan's roots are largely in Indiana. There was a time when a majority of state legislators, I believe in the 20s, uh, were affiliated in some ways with the Klan. I mean, just an absolutely grotesque history. And I think our responsibility, especially given what we've learned about our country in the last uh, couple, three years, is not to pretend that uh, that, that history is over. Uh, you know, it, it was Faulkner who said that the, the past is never dead, it isn't even past. And so uh, with white nationalism on the rise, and uh, it being a very real, clear presence and deadly threat that the uh, current president and administration don't seem to want to confront, it creates an obligation for anyone in a position of authority or power or even just visibility uh, to speak out about why it's wrong, why it's not consistent with American values, uh, and why if we really want to talk about security and safety, uh, then uh, th that has less to do with putting up a wall from sea to shining sea than to making sure that uh, people are not continuing to be radicalized into violent white nationalism with what seems at best uh, to be a, a level of uh, negligence, if not encouragement, coming from the highest office in the land. You've said that you don't like to demonize your opponents, um, but would you consider your fellow former Indiana uh, official Mike Pence a supporter of white nationalism at this point? And, and further, you know, you've talked about um, how Pence has seemingly changed since he started running the country. But earlier, as we were talking to you, you highlighted employment as the pressing LGBT issue of the, our time. And 2007, Pence voted against um, an Employment Non-Discrimination Act. So how are you reconciling your perception of Pence? It seems like he's been very consistent. Oh, he has. He's, he's been consistently horrible uh, and holds beliefs that are sincerely awful when it comes to uh, LGBT equality and, and a lot of other issues whenever there's a contest between, uh, I would say, what is rational and what he believes is, uh, uh, is his interpretation of his religion. In terms of white nationalism, I'm sure he does not consider himself uh, to be a racist, but I think the moment you come on board with a project like uh, the Trump campaign or the Trump Pence administration, you are at best complicit in the uh, the process that has given cover for a flourishing and resurgence of white nationalism in our midst. Okay. Uh, and just one last question. This has been a hot topic, not just on Twitter, but quite frankly, in my group text. We've got to talk about your last name, uh, Pete. Uh, it's always a hot topic, of course, but here's a tweet from Chris Johnson. He said, I just got back after a few days seeing family in Michigan, where I heard my mom refer to Pete Buttigieg as Beetlejuice. Uh, I think that's the most <laughs> creative pronunciation yet. I've come up with some weird versions myself in the last few days. Uh, what are the top three worst ways you've heard your name set? Well, let's see. I've gotten uh, Buttinger. I've gotten Butteregg. Uh, somebody the other day I saw was uh, was settling for Pete Bilderbear. It's just a little easier to remember. Uh, so uh, the good news for me is, you know, elections are multiple choice. So uh, as long as you're able to pick it out of a lineup, I think I'll be okay. Okay, Pete. Pete Bilderbear, 2020. Uh, Thank you so much. For, thanks for joining <laughs> for <that>. us this morning. <laughs> thanks a lot. Good to be with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, friends. Uh, <laughs> Stay tuned for more AM to DM. Pete Bilderbear. That's pretty, pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Okay, obviously it was pretty cool to get to talk to Pete That was Pete awesome. Judge. That was neat. Yeah. I mean, we had a, quite a few 2020 candidates, but I feel like, you know, we're getting, we're getting up there in the future. I feel like it was also just a very good conversation. He did not dodge questions. Mm -hmm. He was very straightforward in whatever yeah. car he was in while he called us. <laughs> it was true. I always appreciate politicians who just answer the fucking question. Mm -hmm. um, but here's a tweet from the wonderful Lisa Tossi. Good morning, Lisa. You tweeted, I just spit out my coffee laughing when Saeed just said Pete, to, to, to Pete Buttigieg, uh, my gaydar also does not pierce the time-space continuum on AM to DM. I am so mad at Ben because he found that Washington Post article and I was like, what? And here's the thing, you guys, you guys couldn't see it at home, but there was a little bit of a who's going to ask the question Yeah, I was situation. like, I don't want to ask yeah, about James. Absolutely, <laughs> but here's the thing. What I loved about it is it was so brilliantly answered. When you think about it, truly, really? just off the top of his head, his answer was very good. He answered a the question. Very, very good answer from him. Uh, you know, dude, dude came to play. Dude is ready. It's, are you just, I'm sorry. I also want to just so point funny. out, I feel like this whole show, if we were to pick a theme, which we do, we Go oftentimes on. find the thread yes. toward the end of the show. Uh -huh. 
Delightful white men. Yeah, riding in cars with boys. That was going to be my theme. Oh, yeah. there, was a lot, white there was a That's lot true. of delightful yeah, white yeah. men. Your from interview Green was... Ring, Jack Shepard, yeah. Paul Shear. Your uh, talk with the guy from your, the TV show. Oh, you're the worst. Yes, you're the Chris worst. Gear, a delight. You're oh, a delight. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah I was... Uh, your sit-down was so fun, I was like actually getting distracted while trying to prepare <laughs> for people to judge. Anyway, we also have to talk about Sherry. When she gets her own movies, what you want to see happen. Uh, Gianna, you said literally her just clowning on tech bros the entire time. I agreed. That would be great. That's a whole mood. That's almost like that's like a comedy. Sherry Marvel Marvel's first comedy. Yeah. Shuri goes to like the Bay Area. It's just it's just Shuri walking through Facebook's like office going, Woo child! The ghetto. <laughs> just everywhere. Just popping up everywhere. Mousy Core says in the comics, she does assume uh-huh. the mantle of Black Panther. And that would be so cool to see. But what I really want to see is her training under the Griot? Griot spirit that makes her this badass sorcerer and scientist. Could you imagine? Oh, that's interesting. An origin like a combination story. of magic and science mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, I do. That is interesting because often this comes up with characters who are like Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Princess Bubblegum is really into science, so she doesn't believe in magic. I wonder what, what Shuri thinks about all I that. I think that would be very cool to mm-hmm. see. And just her Black magic. Panther, of course. Also, yeah, we fucking stand. Yeah, we stand a Black Panther. Uh, Princess Leia had this to say about the Babysitter's Club Netflix series. Uh, Babysitter's Club is one of my favorite book series, and knowing there is a podcast, I may have to check it out. The podcast is very good. People are very, very, Clearly, very, very in love funny. with it. What was it, child labor loss? Uh, yeah. What are you most worried about? Child labor loss of change. Realism. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And thank you to our guests, Dr. Nicole Gonzalez-Van Cleve, Dan Vergano, Chris Gear, Nitty Prakash, Tanner Greenery, Jack Shepard, Paul Shear, Ben Smith, Stephanie McNeil, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. So many names. So many names. It was really a fun morning. It was Isaac is actually off tomorrow. For real this time. Today's show tea going on. So tomorrow will be about me and Stephanie at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, strengthen that gaydar, you know, with practice. I, I with think, practice, I it, think it that improves. Was, that helped him out it in that moment. It helped him out. <laughs>